This is a message from the ministry of the International Baptist Church of Debrecen. For more information about our church, visit ibcdebrecen.com. I'm sure that you already kind of suspect what, we're going to, what we are going to talk about today. Uh, but before we go there, uh, I want to ask you what your favorite movie is. So uh, I don't know if, if, you, uh, if you ever saw the uh, Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather or maybe Star Wars or maybe it's something like, so like The Princess Bride or Back to the Future. I don't know. But what I know is that these movies, you know, we tend to like them and we tend to uh, get attached to these movies because they mean something to us. And I don't know, but have you ever thought about what, what it is that these movies have uh, you know, such, such impact on us? Why, why are they so iconic and so special? And in each story, you know, the stage is set, the characters are established, but then some crisis arises that needs to be addressed. You know, the, the, and the journey is not always fun, not always easy, or even safe. But in the end, you know, love is found, the day is saved, and the good guy wins. That's, that's basically, you know, the, the gist of most of these movies. And these movies, somehow they inspire a sense of hope, and love, and joy, and justice. So, we get sentimental about them. We develop emotions, you know, because of these movies. And when we hear the theme music, it stirs something deep within us. But why these themes? Why does it matter if justice is served? Why, why is it so, uh, so impactful when you see the poor countryside girl finding love with the rich, young, handsome guy? Why these things? Or, or why is it so impactful when there's love, joy, and hope? Well, I think the reason why these movies and these themes hit home for us is because they speak to the longings that are in our hearts. You know, we crave for justice to be served, and we long for love and joy, and we yearn for hope. But life is not always like the movies. You know, injustice persists. Just look around. Just, just see all the hatred. Just see all the racism. Just see all the things going on in the world. Joy and peace sometimes can feel fleeting. It's like they don't even exist sometimes. It's, you, you, you ask yourself, is there actually peace for me? Is, is there joy for me? You know, it, it seems like sometimes in life, villains and the bad guys, they seem to get the upper hand. But we are still cheering for the hero, you know, the one who will save the day and make it all right in the end. We long for these things because we are hardwired to long for them. We long for these things because this is the story that God has woven into the world and we are living it out. We are people who are walking in darkness. There is chaos around us. The world is a huge mess. There is uncertainty and we need someone to rescue us, to give us light in the darkness. You know, there's a passage in Isaiah, uh, in Isaiah 49. Actually, there are a lot of passages, but, but I really like this one from Isaiah uh, chapter 49, where the prophet is talking about a coming light that would bring joy, freedom, peace, and a new kingdom. So let's, let's just go through this, 
quickly. If you turn to Isaiah 49, the six, first six verses, it says the following. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my mother's womb, he has spoken my name. He made my youth like a, sh like a sharpened sword. My, he made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made, he made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And this, this is what we long for. This slide. But let me be clear, guys. This slide is not just an idea, okay? It's not just an abstract concept that we, that we build uh, the build out from these passages in the Bible and we just have this nice, you know, fluffy cloud and, you know, that's, that's the light. No, th there's more to this because I'd like us, I would like us to consider four truths uh, concerning this light that came into the world which answers our most fundamental longings. So who or what is that light? And what has that light come to do? Well, first, the light is a person. Uh, turn with me over to John chapter 1. So often, when the scripture speaks of uh, the concept of light, light, it refers to revelation from God. And uh, when you read these passages and these texts, there's always a sense of revelation from God. And the same, you know, can be applied to a famous text that many have memorized, in, uh, in the book of Psalms, Psalm uh, 119, verse uh, 105, we read the following. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. So, God's word illuminates our way, but it's also how God reveals himself. His word is his self-revelation to us. He reveals who he is through his word. And now, today... Here we are talking about the light, and we, uh, you know, when we talk about this light, we, as I mentioned before, we ought to consider also how God reveals Himself when we talk about the light. But I want to tell you, and maybe you already know this, I hope you do, that from the Bible we know and we believe that Jesus Christ is the ultimate self revelation of God, and He is the ultimate Word of God. Colossians says that he's the image of the invisible God. And it's no surprise, therefore, to read the words of 1 John, which expounds for us more of who this Jesus is. We read in 1 John the first four verses, the following. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of 
all mankind. The word, the self-revelation of God. And later, in verse uh, 14, we see, we see that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, in many ways, you know, this, this is a mysterious thing. I mean, how can the divine take on humanity after all? How can the infinite take on the finite? It's truly a, a miraculous thing. But we read that the word has come to bring life and light. Now, if you look down at verse 9 for a moment, uh, you can read the following. The true light that gives light to everyone who's coming into the world. And Jesus, he will say at another time that he is the light of the world. And this is the key idea and the key motive for today's message. Let's just look at what Jesus says in John 8, uh, verse 12. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light is a person. Okay, It's not a thing. It's not an abstract idea. It's not a philosophical idea. The light is a person. And he is the self-revelation of God. And he shines light to all who will follow him that we may not walk in darkness. And you know, uh, we just read that passage from Isaiah 49. And it was full of this imagery. You know, Old Testament uh, authors especially Hebrew authors, while well, most of them were Hebrew authors, they really liked poetry and they used, you know, all kinds of picture and, and word plays and stuff like that. But I hope you catch the main, I hope you caught the main idea in that, in that passage, because if you don't, then let's go to Acts 26 and see how Paul interpreted that passage, because he had an interpretation. And this is what Paul says uh, in Acts 26 from verse, from verse 22. He says, but God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, this is the main part, look at this, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Wow, Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And this, these are the same words that Isaiah said in chapter 49. And now Paul is making this connection, and now he's stating it clearly. Jesus is that light that has come to his own and also to everyone in the world, to us Gentiles. So what does it mean to walk in the darkness? I mean, if, if you need light, it means that there is darkness. And it means that you are living in darkness and you need light to see things around you. Well, you know, when you forsake the word of God or when we forsake the word of God and choose to live our own way, we choose the way of darkness. And in the darkness, there's pain, there's anguish, and there is gloom. But we have a choice in front of us. Actually, we have a choice every single day. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua has something really, really profound. Just look at this, what he says. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You have a choice. Every single day you have the choice to choose the light. When you choose sincerity over a lie, when you choose honesty, dignity, integrity over hatred and, uh, and you know, cheating and lying and stealing or hypocrisy, when you choose those things over these, you choose the light. And that's what God delights in. So Jesus came to bring life and light so that we do not have to walk in darkness. That's, that's what he says. But what's more is that he cannot be defeated. In John fi- uh, 1, verse 5, we read the following. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, the spiritual forces of darkness, they hate light. You know, Satan and his you know, little minions, they don't like the light. They actually hate it. And I don't know if you ever had problems with cockroaches. I hope you did not, because that's nasty business. But if you had, then you know that when you go into the kitchen or the bedroom or wherever, and you turn on the light, those little guys just you know, scurry away and they hide. They don't like the light. And the spiritual forces of darkness, they're the same. They hate the light. They can't stand it. And, you know, these guys, uh, those who hate the light, may have thought that they scored a great victory in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But the resurrection of Christ demonstrates that Christ is unconquerable. So, you know, it's... I don't know how many of you have ever turned on a flashlight, you know, only to discover that the darkness fought back and pushed the light back into the flashlight. It's a silly idea, because that's, that's not how flashlights work. When you turn on a flashlight, it paves away, and darkness cannot overcome it, because it's not in the nature of darkness to overcome light. So, darkness dissipates when the light shines. When, when the light shines. So, we have a couple of statements, actually, about, about uh, the inevitable and eternal reign of Christ that will surely come to pass. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, we read, that, well, uh, we read what John says here. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. 1 Corinthians 15, 25, 28. 28. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. Darkness does not win. I know it may seem sometimes that uh, for a time darkness is winning. You know, there are times of struggle, distress, suffering, hardship, tribulations on this earth. But those are for a time. Make no mistake, darkness fall will not win because it's not in its nature to win. And light always gains victory no matter what happens. Jesus is an uncon- unconquerable king. But the question arises, 
Are you part of are you part of his kingdom? Because Jesus did not come to bring his light and just be gone with it. It's he didn't just come to to be you know uh, uh, a statue that you know we look upon and we say, wow, that's pretty, that's that's cool. No, he came to defeat the forces of darkness and invite us to join his team. He came with a message. So I'm going back to Isaiah, the, the passage that I mentioned before. Uh, this, this passage has been quoted not just by Paul, actually by many other New Testament writers, but I, I want to go to Matthew because Matthew quotes that passage to demonstrate how Jesus was one, uh, how Jesus was the one who would fulfill the prophecies spoken of him. Look at Matthew 4, verses 12 to 17. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadows of death, a light has dawned. From that, time, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So verse 17, the last verse, summarized Jesus' message to the people. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Once again, Jesus did not come to be just a guy, just another teacher, just another prophet. There is a message here. And first, the message is repent. You know, this, the, the fact that Jesus was uh, preaching this message implies that his audience is probably not in a good place spiritually. To repent, actually, it means to turn away something. And in this context, it means to turn away from sin and especially to turn away from a sinful life. Now, our world, you know, tries to tell you that there is nothing wrong with you. You are perfect just the way you are, and you don't have to change. You just have to discover your true self. But let me tell you that this is one of the nicest sounding lies that have ever been uttered. The truth is that none of us are perfect. We all, all have sin within our hearts. Because you know that you don't have to teach your children uh, to lie or steal, or act selfishly, they do it as an instinct because it's bound up within our very hearts. And that's the original sin that is there in every one of us, starting from Adam all the way to us. That's in every one of us. And this is what Jesus came to rectify. He says, repent. He said, you are not perfect. You are sinners and you need a savior. That's the first message. He came offering the way of salvation to his own people, the Jews, but they rejected him. Actually, he, they hung him on a cross and buried him in the ground. And, and, you know, as if their hearts were not dark enough, they added the sin of the murder of the only single human to walk this earth who was perfect. Now, that's, that's darkness. But <laughs> the good news is that Jesus did not stay dead, guys. He rose again from the dead, demonstrating that darkness cannot win. The light will prevail. He defeated sin and death 
and ascended into heaven where he currently sits at the right hand of God. Amen? Amen. All right. So this is why Jesus came. Okay. He came with a message of good news. And that is good news, guys. That fallen humanity can enter into the kingdom of God through repentance and faith. But that message, it requires a response. Because not everyone will get to enter into the kingdom of God. And that's, that's the sad reality. You know, Jesus said that narrow is the gate that leads to life. So how will we enter it? You know, that's the question. Well, one response that Jesus already articulated is that of repentance. Repent. That's the, that's the first part. And the second is that of faith. Look at John 3. After, you know, what is likely the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3:16, Jesus said these words, uh, starting at verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now, there are two responses uh, in these verses. There's a response of belief, the one who recognizes their sinful condition and that the only way of escape, the only way of salvation is to fling him or herself onto the mercy of Jesus Christ does not face condemnation. There is freedom and there is life. But there's also a tragic flip side because the one who does not believe, they are condemned already because they not believe. And that the reality that we face is that, you know, we like our sin. Let's be honest. We, we prefer darkness. That's just how we work. And this is, this is the reason, you know, why we get so offended <laughs> when people point out our flaws. I don't know how you are, uh, but I'm not a person who likes to be criticized. Maybe you take that far, but I know about myself that I don't. And I know that many of us don't because when the light shines, we react against it. Like, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, I Am Legend with Will Smith. It's, it's an action kind of movie. And, you know, the, the creatures, whatever those are, zombies or I don't know, but those creatures, they only come out during the night because they feel pain when the light shines on them. And this is the case for all humanity in our natural state. It's, it's, it's like we feel a pain when the light shines on our sins and, and reveals, you know, our, our darkest uh, moments and, and the depths of our hearts. But Jesus, he beckons to us. Don't remain in the darkness. Come to the light. In John 12, 36, he says, Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left them and hid himself from them. Jesus offers us adoption into the very family of God. Jesus was born as a son so that he could make you and I sons and daughters of the Father. And he will welcome you in the brotherhood <laughs> and in the sisterhood. But it requires a response. Will you turn from the darkness to trust the light? Or will you cower back into the darkness like a cockroach fleeing, fleeing from the light? What Christ offers is more than a mere facade of righteousness. He, off he offers more than warm fuzzies 
more than what the best blockbuster movie can ever offer. He offers a spot on the winning team in the battles of the ages. He offers a place in the kingdom and he offers freedom from guilt and shame. But you must choose the light and you must come to the light. So I want to close with this. Um, Henry Westbrook Longfellow, he was a, an American poet who lived during the, uh, the time of the Civil War. And uh, he wrote a poem that was later turned into a song that speaks of the tension uh, felt during the Christmas season and that joy that is supposed to be present, you know, during Christmas uh, was not there. And actually darkness was present in the land. And although this is a Christmas song and a Christmas uh, poem, I think it, its truth still holds this very day as well. So I want to read it to you. Tear ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to man. It was as if an earthquake rent the hard stones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to man. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to man. Thank you so much for lending us your ears and your time today. If your curiosity has been piqued and you'd like to learn more about our church and the work we do, please feel free to visit our website at ibcdebretson.com. Better yet, we warmly invite you to join us in person and experience our community firsthand. We look forward to welcoming you 